Welcome to The Dreaming. I'm Joe Folger. I'm Sasha Smulders. This is The Sandman, Issue 33, A Game of You, Chapter 2. The subtitle of this issue is Lullabies of Broadway, which is a reference to Lullaby of Broadway, a popular song with music written by Harry Warren and lyrics by Al Dubin, published in 1935. The lyrics salute the nightlife of Broadway and its denizens who, quote, don't sleep tight until dawn. Mm. Of course, a lullaby being something that you normally have sung to you as you're going to sleep Mm. and about to dream. And here is Ella Fitzgerald's version. Come on along and listen to the lullaby of Broadway. The hip hooray and ballyhoo, the lullaby of Broadway. The rumble of the subway train, the rattle of the taxes. The daffodils who entertain at Angelo's and Maxie's. When a Broadway baby says goodnight, it's early in the morning. Mm, so the idea is that in in uh, New York, it doesn't get quiet. It's not your. It's a. It's its own specific lullaby. Yeah, you're going to bed so so late, and when the trains are still rumbling, and you can hear people in the street. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Let's take a look at the cover. We've got George. Mm-hmm. Opening up his chest and letting all the birdies out. Yeah, all the little baby cuckoos. I guess. Not sure. They're supposed to be cuckoos. They serve the cuckoo, right? Mm-hmm. I think it makes sense if they were cuckoos. Yeah. Like all the rest of the Sandman covers, this was created by Dave McKean. This one is photography, collage, and color Xeroxography. Oh. I think it's interesting that the person's face has a cutout of what looks like different person's lips over their mouth. Mm-hmm. And an eye, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's in particular, the lips, because they seem kind of feminine to me. Yeah, I guess they do. I wonder what that means. Ooh. Could it mean that George is not actually George? He works for the cuckoo. Maybe that's the cuckoo's mouth. Seems to be just a shell for the cuckoo. Kind of, yeah. Well, let's get inside and take a look at what happens. The porpentine. Hey, it's the porpentine. It's very pretty. I'd wear it. Yeah. Oh, I wonder if anybody's actually made themselves a porpentine. That would be kind of cool to, to look up. Honestly, I think I would cosplay as Barbie. She seems pretty dope. Yeah? Mm-hmm. With the, the checkerboard face paint, though? Or Barbie in the world? Maybe her princess costume later on. Pretty obscure character to cosplay. Oh, yeah, for sure. Especially one named after a, a Barbie doll. Mm-hmm. Right? Be a little hard to do. Mm-hmm. So there's a buzz on her door as she's uh, as she's putting away the porpentine late mm-hmm. at night. Hazel's got some questions. Yeah, some questions that you would have hoped the uh, education system would have been able to answer for her. <laughs> uh, the other thing I noticed is very strikingly, especially because you see more of Hazel in this, she looks a lot like uh, Leah Delaria who is a character from, if you don't know her by name, from Orange is the New Black. Oh, totally, yeah. Yeah, totally does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she's got some questions that I I would think that people would know these, but then again, maybe that's more just hoping. Yeah, and then also, like, keep in mind, she's a queer woman in, like... The early 90s, so like what was she learning in school? She would have been in high school yeah. in the 80s. Or maybe felt she didn't need to learn this stuff. Exactly, yeah. right? It's fair, totally, yeah. right? I, I don't want to judge them negatively for it because I know there are so many people who don't know this stuff that mm-hmm. need to know it. Mm-hmm. There's an internet now, though, so please just go, go, Google your questions. People do. They do it on uh, 
is that website where people like ask questions? Oh, ask, how is Babby formed? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have answers to that that aren't just making fun of you for not knowing things that you weren't born knowing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She tells a story of uh, one night when she's leaving work at the restaurant. Uh, a young man comes back with her, one of the waiters, and he asks to stay over, says he's tired, and she believes him. But uh, the two of them end up having sex. Yeah, uh, both a bit drunk. Mm-hmm. And Fox wasn't there. And she said, sure. But, I mean, they did it standing up, so it should have been fine. Right. Gravity, right? That's probably the argument or the thought, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, no, it's up. So as long as we do it this way, we'll be fine. Uh, just for anybody wondering, that's not at all true. No. And so Barbie kind of uh, schools her a little bit on, you know, you don't... Uh, like, did you invited him over and, like, what did you think was going to happen? Yeah. But at the same time, you should be able to invite somebody over and not have sex. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Uh, I remember in my sex ed in, in high school, like, kind of specifically one of the movies or one of the films we watched talking about, like, if you don't want to have sex, don't spend the night with someone. And it, like, wasn't inherently in, like, a rape way, but also in a, like gamify your hormones or something kind of way right like how these situations can happen yeah look if you sleep over with somebody and you kind of like them you might end up having sex so if you don't don't. if yeah if you long term like as in a like think i probably shouldn't do this don't stay over yeah yeah but also i think that's also codified as well taught to girls of like you also might get raped like, it's it's kind of a coded way. We oh. talk about doing it as like a, you know, don't set yourself up for temptation. But it's also a codified it's... way of saying you also might get raped. So Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, there are men who believe that if you accept that invitation, that that's it. That if, if you invite somebody over, that's it. You're, you get to have sex with them. Yeah. I've, I've had an argument with somebody on the internet. I'm very sure a young, foolish man mm-hmm. who believed... That if you got under a blanket with somebody, that was consenting to sex with them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, that is consenting to getting under a blanket with them. Yeah. Yeah. It, so full on, yeah, that society kind of says, look, I mean, that's what that means. And on the one hand, it kind of does because people expect it to mean that and mm-hmm. therefore it does. But on the other hand, it shouldn't. Yeah. Shouldn't. It's almost like she she doesn't seem to exactly regret it here. Like, it was okay, I guess. It hurt, right? But she is just terrified of the pregnancy possibility. Yeah. I mean, the way she talks about it, too, she says that he's mostly gay. Mm-hmm. And so there's this kind of confusion of, like, two queer people spending the night together and mm-hmm. and what happens with the two of them. I can also see from her perspective, like... And I think a lot of um, other people will agree with this, that there are times wherein you don't say no to something because you're worried about what happens if you say no. So, right? Like, and while she's not, like, that could also be the subtext of this scene in that she didn't say no to sex with him because she might have been worried what would happen, which isn't exactly consent, right? Right. Right. It's, it yeah. was so I said sure and and Barbie says you said well he was tired so what else was I going to do? I don't mm. even know. He promised nothing was going to happen and then we were lying together and his thing went all hard and we sort of did it. Yeah, it's a it's a bit of a confusing situation and mm-hmm. it could be 
either way, I think. But she's in this position now where she is missed a period and she doesn't know what to do about that. She doesn't Mm -hmm. know what you do or how you find out. She doesn't know what a pregnancy test is. Mm -hmm. And she references... Something about killing a rabbit? The rabbit test or Friedman test was an early pregnancy test developed in 1931 at the University of Pennsylvania as an improvement on the 1927 test which used mice. The rabbit test consisted of injecting the tested woman's urine into a female rabbit, then examining the rabbit's ovaries a few days later, which would change in response to a hormone secreted but only by pregnant women. Mm-hmm. They would kill the rabbit to look at the ovaries. Yeah. There was this old, oh, the rabbit died, uh, being this cliche, meaning, oh, if the rabbit dies, that means you're pregnant. But that's not at all true. They, they gotta kill it They anyway. kill it to go look. And whether it whether it's positive or negative, the rabbit's going to die. Mm. Yeah. They no longer used this method. It was actually pretty reliable. It only had an error rate of about 2%, a little bit less than 2%. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. So she explains it pretty well. You know, you're going to have to pee on a thing. And, uh, and then Hazel asks her about abortions and if they hurt. And Barbie had an abortion when she was in high school. Mm-hmm. And because you get an anesthetic, it's not painful. And even nowadays, it's an even less, like, traumatic experience. It's There's actually a letter column about this bit in Sandman number 37, where somebody, I, I don't have the, the details on it, it's mentioned in the Sandman annotations, though, uh, that somebody writes in about it saying that Barbie's wrong about the use of anesthesia uh, and the pain of abortions. Mm. Assistant editor Elisa Quitney checked with Planned Parenthood and confirmed that individual responses to abortion vary considerably and that Barbie's was a common reaction. That you can have a painful abortion and that they often do give you anesthesia, especially a local. Yeah. Nowadays, they're pretty simple procedures. They're Mm -hmm. not... The the, the biggest hassle that comes with it is Republicans trying to fuck with you getting it in the first place. (laughs) Like, that's the worst thing about abortions these days. Yeah. uh, It's the red tape and not the actual experience when it Mm -hmm. comes to, like, the medical procedure. Hmm. Oh, uh, also in panel two on page four, we've got Hazel mentioning that uh, foxes and her periods normally are usually pretty clockwork. They come Mm -hmm. within a few days of each other. A 2013 review concluded that menstrual synchrony likely does not exist. Yeah. I mean, I I feel like I've kind of experienced it, but also, I don't know, like... I trust data more than... I've certainly had women around me claim that it's been happening to them with people that they've been living with. Mm-hmm. But and I, I feel like it's happened to me, but also I have a... If my period is on a 26-day cycle and someone else is on a 28-day cycle, if we live together, eventually they're going to get closer to each right. other. Oh, yeah. And then we get to the the piece of advice, um, don't listen to anything a guy says because guys think with their dorks. Depending on the edition you've got, it might also say guys think with their dicks. Dorks being, I think, more English, which is Neil, mm. and dicks being more American slang. Hmm. I'm not sure which it was originally meant to be or how it got changed. There is a note in the Sandman annotation saying it's weird that this says dorks instead of dicks. And then now in the new versions, it says dicks. I, it's weird. doesn't matter. Well, Hazel says that um, she'd heard people say that, but it had always she'd always assumed it was because they didn't like men. So they were saying, like, guys just think with their dicks because they don't like men. <laughs> but she figured Barbie would think different because Barbie does like men. Right. <laughs> Barbie's like, oh, no, I like men, and I still know they think with their dicks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember being young and hormonal. I think the important moral of it is, is, like, that as we become adults, we need to, like, recognize that... 
that's not an excuse like that we need to like take care of ourselves and make sure that we don't do that kind of thing right like it's not an excuse for bad behavior but it's an understanding of why you feel a certain way sure yeah yeah and then we get frog mug in i love this frog mug it's a pretty cool cute frog mug i hope someone sells it uh i it's probably based on a real one and actually or maybe somebody made one it looks like uh it might be an art project by somebody Mm -hmm. it's pretty cute i don't know it's pretty cute and so she sends her on her way Mm-hmm. And uh, and says, silly girl. Which I'm sure we've said about her a few times, too. Meanwhile, tons of straight people don't know how gay people have sex. So yeah, right? Like, silly. <laughs> so silly to not know things. Again, <laughs> but I, I like to point out, you weren't born with the knowledge. Like, yeah. somebody told you this, or you learned it from experience. And not everybody got that experience, or not everybody got told that. And Hazel never thought she'd have to know that. Yeah. Right? Like, she never thought she would need to know mm-hmm. how you get pregnant. And I thought I would never have to need to know how women have sex. But the internet exists. But it turns out teamwork is important. (laughs) And then Barbie goes to watch some TV because she doesn't want to go to sleep. But she's doing that thing where you drift in and out (laughs) of sleep. I know. So the world around you is still there. Yeah. But it, it, yeah, your sleepiness kind of filters in and out of your wakingness. Mm Mm-hmm. Old-fashioned cotton wool when you could be using new wonder wool. The cotton wool is actually, that's an English term for basically absorbent cotton. So cotton balls. Okay. It is weird that it's followed up with now in cinnamon, fresh mint, and new salsa flavors. And I absolutely think that's jumping to a completely different thing. And her brain is just connecting the two. Like you're watching TV and you see one commercial and then <laughs> and you wake up. And you barely notice that you've drifted off and it's another commercial. And so your brain just stitches them together. Yeah. So it goes from one to wool to like some kind of uh, like product that would have scents like a candle or what something. Cinnamon. What about their flavors? Cinnamon, fresh mint, and salsa flavor. Mm. That is, those are weird combos of flavors. Maybe it's gum, salsa flavored gum. Mm, yum. I would so chew that. Would you? Okay. Yeah. I love tomatoes. I was thinking you do use absorbent cotton balls in dentistry. So maybe it's a late night weirdo dentist product. It's flavored cotton balls. <laughs> do you want to try the salsa ones while I drill into your gums? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and we find out about Hurricane Lisa. That's blowing over the North Atlantic. And then Foxglove, Hazel, and some kind of little doll. Mm-hmm. Little baby Barbie doll. Yeah. And she'll be available in cinnamon, fresh mint, or new salsa flavor. Mm. Thessaly's vanilla. <laughs> Who then smash cut turns into Nuala. Who we met before. Yeah. And she's looking like herself now. Now, remember, Barbie said she doesn't dream. She hasn't dreamed since the doll's house. Yeah. And now here she is dreaming. And as soon as she dreams, Nuala goes, oh, hey, I got to tell you something. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, Barbie. My name's Nuala. I'm I'm rather new at this. In fact, I probably shouldn't be here at all. You have to be careful. They won't tell me very much, but there's something bad on the way. <laughs> Wakes up. And this pretty much looks like David Letterman. He's got the gap in the tooth and the and the funny hair that represents him. Oh, yeah. I didn't pick up on that at all. And his guest is her ex-husband, Ken. So she's still dreaming. Humanitarian wit, gourmet and international traveler. Ex-wives, huh? One minute they're frigid bitches who can't cook too good neither. 
Then they go off to New York and paint dumb things on their faces in a desperate attempt to seem interesting. <laughs> Barbie, is that true? Are you secretly a really boring person? Hey, that's not the half of it. She's hanging around with degenerate weirdos and probably cracking up into the bargain. Oh, I love her face in the next panel. <laughs> the, the eyes wide open. <laughs> yeah, just as she like kind of wakes up and realizes she's dreaming and that, that this isn't working. Yeah. But of course, she falls back asleep. And enters a world of curtains. A world of curtains. I've been here before. I push my way through, distantly feel them rend and tear. I feel as if I am falling, but I am not falling. I am walking. This is good. I needed to go for a walk. I can stop worrying. Everything's just fine. So this is a little reminiscent of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Mm -hmm. The means of entering, right? Yeah, they're walking through the fur coats. Yeah, yeah. The back of the wardrobe. I think it's definitely a reference. The Salmon Annotations points that out as well. Ah. Yeah. And she meets Wilkinson. And our next page uh, has our title, Lullabies of Broadway. Mm -hmm. And it shows us each of the characters who are sleeping and uh, or going to sleep or, <laughs> or choosing to stay patiently. awake. Yeah. Yeah. And we have the credits here. Neil Gaiman, the writer, Sean McManus, artist, Daniel Vazo, colorist, Todd Klein, letterer, Elisa Quitney, assistant editor, and Karen Berger, the editor. Each night before bed, Thessaly brushes her hair 100 times. She counts each brushstroke. I tried to look this up. This is a belief that brushing your hair a hundred times and counting it every night before you go to bed is very good for it, that it distributes the oils and stuff like that. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to look up and find out how true that is. The things that I've learned is definitely don't do it with a plastic brush mm -hmm. because the claims that that will hurt your hair seem to be true. Mm -hmm. But the people who claim that it does help you and is good use these old boar bristle brushes. And uh, the claim is actually that people would use these instead of washing their hair, mm -hmm. that you would basically just brush your hair a lot and that would any dirt or oil, your oil would get spread out and anything dirty would just get brushed out. So this is kind of an old fashioned kind of way of keeping your hair clean without using any kind of soaps or anything like that. Oh, yeah. I mean, when I had long hair, we were definitely, especially I had long straight hair, so brushing it was good. If mm -hmm. you got long curly hair... I don't know what brushing's going to do to it. Make it bigger, I think. It did. It made it poofier. Yeah, make it real poofy. But uh, yeah, for having long straight hair, when it, my hair was long, it was, yeah, supposed to brush it all the time or else it does get like little mats and knots and stuff. Mm -hmm. So yeah, sitting there at the mirror brushing your hair out. <laughs> Hazel is reading herself to sleep with Raymond Chandler's The Long Goodbye. Raymond Chandler, this is a... This is also directly from the Salmon Annotations. Okay. Them. Raymond Chandler was a pioneer in the hard-boiled detective style, and The Long Goodbye is one of his greater works. The MacGuffin in the novel is a question of identity, and the novel reflects on how identity affects relationships. One of the featured characters disguises himself and encounters the protagonist in both his guises. At one point, he says, an act is all there is. There isn't anything else. In here, taps chest with a lighter, there isn't anything. Hmm. And then they point out on the next page, we find somebody who in their chest really doesn't have anything. Oh, yeah. And also George. identity is what you do, not who you are. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like you can say whoever you want to be, but you're only going to be the thing that you actually act on. Yes. I'm are. a good person, but you keep kicking people who don't deserve it and you never give to charity mm -hmm. and you only serve yourself. But I'm a good person on the inside. Mm. Well, until we cut you open, I don't care. Okay. Yeah. I right? think that stands. Yeah. 
and she's especially struggling with her identity as someone who is identified as a as a dyke her whole life and then this thing happens and now she might be pregnant and all of this stuff you mm-hmm. know like it's the right book to read at that time right? i think yeah wondering about her own identity i don't think she's wondering though if she's not a dyke no because she i think very clearly was like ugh, we just kind of did the thing and meh. Mm-hmm. now she's worried about the the rest of it mm-hmm. but certainly yeah it, it certainly is uh, a little blip in the identity anyway yeah yeah but Mr. Creepy Mullet Man. <laughs> George, yeah. Oh, he's a creepster. Yeah, and we're not... I'm not sure what the heck's going on here. Because we've had dreams come into reality, mm-hmm. right? Now, we're guessing that George is an agent of the cuckoo. So is George... And the cuckoo's kind of in the dream world, I guess? Right? Because if the cuckoo is... The bad guy in the land, mm-hmm. but is sending the cuckoo's agents into the real world the same way that Martin Tenbones did. Does that mean George is a dream or is George a human serving a dream? I don't think George is even human. I don't think George is a George. Yeah. I think George is one of the birds. Like, I, I think he's just a shell. What we see is just like this yeah. human shell that, that carries the birds. Mm. I mean, yeah. Yeah probably a, a, a dream though like a, mm. a creation the same way martin Tenbones is a dream right mm-hmm. i mean that's because we know that this is a scare a, a scary in the dreaming right mm-hmm. and so all of these th- all of these things are dreams so does that mean george is a dream i guess, I guess. it does yeah so he's kind of a corinthian like bad guy dream who like the corinthian is now in the real world yeah but, but his body is just made up of he's just a a cage, human cage for the cuckoo's birds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like the idea of a bird cage that's a human skeleton. Like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty great. So, over the next pages, we start to see what everybody's dreaming about. First off, Wanda. Now, are these actually cuckoos? Is that what a cuckoo bird looks like? There are a great many looks for cuckoos, but yeah, um, those could be seen to be cuckoos. Now, cuckoos are the bird that. They go and they put their egg into they're predatory, right? They put or they're they they are the ones who lay their eggs in the in other They're brood parasites is what the term is, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cuckoos lay their eggs in other birds' nests and will generally kick out another egg to make space for their larger one. And what are these birds doing in this story? They're going into people's dreams and turning them bad. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's do mm. that. Let's take a look at what's going on. We've got Wanda, who's dreaming about nice dresses, which is pretty obviously uh, a code for being a woman, mm-hmm. right? And is being given them. Yes, you're a woman. Here you go. No problem. They're all beautiful. You get to have them. You will not have to pay for them. And then, and there's no contractions here. Did you notice this? Mm-hmm. We have lots of nice dresses. I will give you all the nice dresses you want. You will not have to pay for them. Then Wanda's with kind of like the, seems like the dorky don't fit in boys from probably back home, right? We were at school with you, Wanda. We are so envious. Hurrah. Because I do not bear a grudge, I will give all of you nice dresses as well. (laughs) I will give all of you dorky people who didn't fit in back home, who might be going through what I was going with, the knowledge and identity that I have found. Yeah. It's kind of recognizing that there are other people who haven't, maybe, back there who haven't figured that out. 
Well, specifically in her dream, there's this this thing that she can't get. We know she doesn't have money. She goes shopping and doesn't buy stuff or presumably mm-hmm. steals. We don't know. Uh, and instead, this woman who works in the store, who's a gatekeeper for the clothes, and, and those women also gatekeep trans women coming in and trying things on yeah. and shame them, all of those things. She's saying, oh, no, you may have all the nice dresses. You deserve the nice dresses and you don't have to pay for them. You're not poor anymore or being poor doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And so now she's taking all of this goodwill that's coming at her and yeah. she's depositing it on the boys who probably weren't even that nice to her. I don't bear a grudge. So you may also have all of this acceptance I'm now well, having. I think even recognizing that maybe one of the reasons that they weren't nice is because they were going through their own problems right like i look back on people in high school who were like misfits and stuff like that and didn't fit in and weird and we didn't have the language even for maybe you're transgender Mm. back then i mean many people figured that out not that there weren't transgender people but it wasn't ever offered as a maybe this is it as Mm a how about this this could fix it I can't help but think that maybe because we thought so poorly of being transgender back then that it wasn't even allowed to become part of the conversation that people couldn't find an answer for themselves back then. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's what this one panel especially feels like. It those is those people back home that maybe were transgender or maybe had some other, maybe maybe they were gay or bi or who knows what it was, some kind of unacceptable identity. And so they lived instead with this weird, uncomfortable, doesn't fit in identity. And here's Wanda going back going, I will share with you what is helping me. Mm-hmm. And I, I really like that. But another thing that kind of hit me when I on my final read through here, like just recently, is how much the three of these boys seem kind of like boy versions of three of the women in this story. That the boy in the background is round-faced and heavy, kind of like Hazel. The one in the front is blonde and thin, kind of like foxglove. And then we've got another one with the big round glasses, mm-hmm, right? The which, hair. Is, which is Thessaly. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that they are exactly meant to be these are those people, right? But I, I think that the making boys look like girls she knows. Yeah, maybe. Right, is, ab- is absolutely part of that. I think that works. Yeah, yeah, that could be it. The dream's going okay. And then we see the cuckoo on her shoulder. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, one of the weirdzos shows up. And uh, remember I was mentioning last episode that like this is very definitely Bizarro. There's like really no doubt about it. Bizarro made more Bizarros. He would always wear around his neck an emblem saying Bizarro number one. So you'd mm-hmm. know who the first one was and who the leader was. Okay. And so here's Weirdzo number one and Weirdzo Lila number one, right? And this is exactly what the Bizarros look like. And she calls her Alvin. Yeah. And then the next shot we get of Wanda, um, now her long hair is gone. Yeah. Very much looking like a man in a dress rather than Wanda as a woman in a dress. That that dead naming, I think, even though Wanda is denying it, hurt. Yeah. And just the the people around her as the weirdzos come in, um, not acknowledging who she is, starts to make her more and more scared and make her feel like she's regressing more and more. Um, because then the next shot of her, she's like very muscular. She's nude. Right. Yeah. Like and extremely muscular. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This dream, this beautiful dream about all the dresses and even dresses was a nice, comfortable metaphor mm-hmm. for something that we find out now Wanda's very afraid of. Yeah. Right. Wanda doesn't want to be given the body because that's scary. Wanda wants the dresses. 
Yeah. Yeah. Over the course of this, like the weirdos say, we're going to, we're doctors and nurses. We're going to give you surgery. And it's like, mm-hmm. is a holding a saw. <laughs> yeah. Just awful. And like a big hammer and the giant as needle. And like, this is something that some members of the trans community do experience is the pressure to have surgeries that they might not want to have. Like yeah. not every person who transitions from one gender to another mm-hmm. necessarily wants surgery. And this is also, I believe, at a period of time in which like, if you wanted to legally transition and have your gender markers changed on your ID um, to match the gender you are, uh, some of some places would require you to have surgery to do that. Right. Essentially sterilizing people to make mm-hmm. them have ID that matches their gender, which is pretty important in your day-to-day life. Yeah. Uh, and so this is a real fear that a lot of people experience because like, it is totally normal to be trans and not want surgery or not want hormones or any of those things. Mm-hmm. And But of course, the medical community treats them like that's not, you're not really trans if you don't want that. Yeah. And so that's a scary situation. Yeah, it's it's too bad. I yeah, we keep using this word normal and like, oh, if it's normal. And I don't care if it's normal or not. Mm-hmm. If you want to live abnormally, even if it's that, that's fine. You're not hurting anybody. Mm. Live the way you want to live. Yeah. Well, they just treat it as like I think the problem is is that there's this idea of like the medical community of if we're going to accept you, mm-hmm. you have to go through all of these things right. to get it. Which is and awful and yeah and if you treat it well if you consider trans being transgender to only be a medical issue wherein you are a woman and your body is that of a man and Mm -hmm. medical science says we can fix that that you have to do that to get that thing instead of being like i'm a person and i get to decide what my body is for me and so as a woman even if i still have a penis i get to decide that i'm a woman still and you don't have to cut me up for me to decide it's, right, like it, that's yeah. It's it's the forcing together of gender and sexual sex, right? Mm-hmm. That that if you have a penis, then you are male and you act this way, and you don't wear dresses. And if you have a vagina, then you wear dresses and you wear makeup and you mm-hmm. act this way. And again, that's just other people telling you how to live. Yeah, and well, also like it comes from a, a misunderstood idea of like being transgender is have you had the surgery and that mm-hmm. you're not really trans until you've had the surgery. Right. That we get to call you a man until you've had your, the surgery, which right. now makes you a because, woman. Because sex and gender, they yeah. think, they think are the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So exactly. yeah, I think in this whole scene, Wanda is, this is her dream is just a nightmare of like a thing that trans people still experience today, but mm-hmm. I think was worse probably in the 90s so as a person who was an adult back then absolutely yeah like i knew very little i can i can i'm shocked at my ignorance of transgender information back then even here in canada i think as little as two years ago Mm -hmm. if you were a trans man in alberta and you wanted to have um male driver's license male id Mm -hmm. you had to have a hysterectomy you were not allowed to identify like as a man. You could be taking hormones. You could grow a beard. You could have all mm-hmm. of that. But you were not allowed to have a little M written on your driver's license unless somebody cut your uterus out. Like yeah. that's horrifying to me. Yeah. It's just horrifying. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Yeah. It's like, uh, people who don't understand uh, things deciding how the world should work. Yeah. That's the main problem with the world today, but let's not go any further than that, and let's stay with the Sandman. It is a nightmare, and Uh, she is having it. Yes, absolutely. She is absolutely having a nightmare, and the cuckoo's doing it. And then over the page to Hazel. 
Hazel dreams, and there are a lot of ways that you can interpret what's going on here, especially the beginning before it turns really dark. Mm-hmm. And I love it. I, I want to hear your interpretation of, of this dream first. Well, yeah, she's on a train and she doesn't know the language. She doesn't know if she speaks the language. She doesn't know where she is. She doesn't even know if she has a ticket. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of this like anxiety, right? Like this this low, like this sinking deep in your bones anxiety is that you're in a situation that should be normal, but you don't feel normal. Yeah. Uh, Which is what she's in in real life. And you don't know how to act. Yeah. And then someone, the inspector, so this authority figure comes along and says, there's something wrong with your ticket and you Mm -hmm. have to come with me. Oh my gosh, that's so scary, right? And then there's this basement, go down into this basement. And I didn't know the train said basements. And, And at this point, it becomes, they're not on a train anymore. That's right? dream logic, yeah. Yeah, like I'm in a train, this is the place I'm in, and then as soon as I encounter a set of stairs, once I move past that, now I'm no longer worried about being on a train because I'm in a new location. And so there's a box, and inside the box is a dead baby that's 70 years old, and I'm not quite sure. 70 years dead. 70 years dead, and I'm not quite sure if that's supposed to be a reference to someone I'm or if that's just... sure. That's almost the right duration of when dream was locked away but i i i think 70 is just part of the weirdness of the dream okay that this baby has been dead forever her baby has been dead for 70 years locked in this box autopsied and all formaldehyde Mm -hmm. uh meanwhile foxglove also has a baby and he's a perfect little baby boy he's alive Mm mm-hmm and so they decide to put the two babies, they say, oh, we'll put both of our babies in this crib together. But of course, the dead baby <laughs> kills the living baby and eats it. And, and she knew it was going to happen. So I, to me, this feels a little bit like like there's anxiety over having babies. And then this anxiety that her that her actions, the things she has done, is going to ruin Foxglove. Yeah. That like, yeah, that, that that's the idea is like yes. her indiscretion, this thing is going to affect Foxglove more than it's going to affect right. her. And she's so worried about that. So, okay, awesome. So here's my feeling. And I want to hear from our listeners as well, because we are interpreting dreams. So there's no, yeah. I don't think there's any right or wrong way unless your name is Neil Gaiman. And even then, you know, once you create your art, other people get to interpret it the way they want anyway. So definitely this is this is fear over her pregnancy, right? And the mm-hmm. effects it's going to have. Now, remember back in the previous one, somebody asked Foxglove how many she's up to. She's working on something. Mm-hmm. Something that's very important. Something that she probably loves, like a child. So I think that Foxglove's baby isn't a baby. Foxglove's baby represents whatever Foxglove loves that Foxglove feels is very important in their life right now. The thing, right, their drive, the things that they love to make them happy. Okay. But along comes this dead baby, meaning Mm. I'm a lesbian. I'm not supposed to have babies, Mm -hmm. especially accidentally because I shouldn't, right? Yeah. And now she's like, my dead baby should never be alive is going to kill Foxglove's dreams. Okay. Yeah. And it's my fault. Yeah. And that's her worst nightmare. Yeah. Her nightmare is ruining Foxglove's life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's super disturbing, too. Oh, the yeah. image of the baby, like, eating and pulling the insides oh, out of yeah. the other one. Ugh. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I know once it's finished with Fox's child, then it will come for us. Because it's going to kill what Foxglove loves, and then it's just going to take over their whole lives. Because mm-hmm. that's what babies do. 
Yep. <laughs> They're just not horrible monsters in this way. Yeah, just other ways. Other ways. And then uh, we have Foxglove Dream. Foxglove sleeps without dreaming. And we've got just, I love the image behind it. It's just kind of this mess of nothingness. It's kind of like dream chaos. But then the cuckoo shows up and she's dreaming anyway. Mm-hmm. So these cuckoos are definitely showing up and like messing with their dreams and giving them horrible nightmares. And because of this, we find out who Foxglove was before. Yeah. Foxglove was previously Donna, the Donna who Judy called mm-hmm. on the phone from the diner in 24, is it called 24 hour? It was in 24 hours, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Judy was in the diner when John D walked in uh, because she had had a fight with Donna and she had hit her. And in fact, on one of the pages, she's writing a letter to Donna, which is Foxglove. And it says, Dear Donna, I don't blame you for all you said about us last night. And I said I was sorry after I hit you. And I am sorry. Donna, I love you. I only hurt you because I was scared of losing you. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. That was at hour six. And it's been two, uh, two years now. Yeah. So Foxglove has run away and changed her name. Mm-hmm. Um, probably changed a whole bunch about herself. Yeah. Donna's somebody else. Donna's dead. So she probably also blames herself because she must have known that Judy was killed that night, that Judy mm-hmm. killed herself in this horrible, disgusting way, like this really... I don't think that they knew that they killed themselves. It, I think it was supposed to be a murder spree, but they couldn't figure it out. Okay, but I mean, like, I, you'd think that the news would treat what happened in that diner like very salacious mm-hmm. kind of oh, episode. Oh, for sure. And it was the day after, like she left her voicemails, not voicemails, I guess you don't have voicemails, but she was, you know, like... Mm-hmm. Foxglove must have known something of what happened that night, like that it was a horrible, brutal thing happened to Judy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I, there were photos in, I think, pretty sure we saw newspapers with photos of the dead bodies. So, yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, Foxglove is the one who, when this cuckoo kind of tries to come at her with, ha I'm your old lover. Foxglove's like, no, I'm not her anymore. I'm, yeah. Donna's dead. I'm Fox Love. And we've talked about how a game of you is a question of identity. And mm-hmm. here's somebody who's changed their entire name, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I feel like Fox Love knows who she is. Out of all of them here, uh, at least so far, Fox Glove is like, I know who I am. I know what I'm doing. You're dead. But then, of course, oh, shit, somebody dead is here. <laughs> and yeah. that's when it gets scary. Are you a ghost? And Judy, Judy does that thing that abusers sometimes do with the, you know, are you with mm-hmm. anyone? What's her name? And is she as pretty as me? Does she make you feel the way I made you feel? And Foxglove says, no, but at least she doesn't hurt me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And at the end, she says, I've got something in my eye. Judy does. Which is how she died. Yeah. Yeah. She had those forks stuck in her eyes. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. And then we get to see Thessaly sleeping, who it just says Thessaly sleeps. Doesn't even say sleeps without dreaming. Just mm-hmm. Thessaly sleeps and there's nothing. We don't get to see, we don't even get to see dream static. Now, I was so curious, like when I flipped this page thinking like what's going to happen with Thessaly, I was like, man, this girl, because she's so vanilla, has to have something fucked up like going <laughs> on. And it's even better than I thought. Thessaly is like a witch. <laughs> I'm so excited to find out what's going on with Thessaly. <laughs> I, I love the matter of fact, right? Like just the the frame by frame. It shows up, lands on her shoulder, just like everybody else. And she just kind of opens her eye, like looks right at it, grabs it, looks at it, 
thinks for a bit, smashes it dead against a wall, <laughs> and then burns it in her hands with some kind of magic flame. And it seems that it affected George. So yeah, George seems to be tied to them somehow. Mm-hmm. Some Willow Rosenberg level stuff right there. <laughs> yeah, except like nasty, right? Like, like she's not being, oh my goodness, Willow would be surprised, you know? Ooh. I mean, Willow has been nasty. Okay, though. well, Dark Willow then. <laughs> this yeah, is some Dark sure. Willow stuff, yeah, yeah. and I'm, I approve. I like Thessaly. <laughs> and uh, she gets up and goes to her drawer to get something. Mm-hmm. Leaves her apartment, goes up the stairs, knocks on the door. George answers. <laughs> We've never really been introduced. I'm Thessaly from downstairs. Can I come in? She's got a knife behind her back. Yeah. I like Thessaly. Yeah, like, goes from waking up to a bird on her shoulder to, let me get this knife and go, I don't know what she's going to do to George. Well, I do, because I've read this, but like, let me just go ahead upstairs like right now. This is a woman of action. Oh, yeah. We do not, do not uh, underestimate women you think are vanilla just because they drink soy milk and they brush their hair a hundred times before they go to bed. That's right. Sometimes they keep knives and they're secretly witches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then we get to see the land, finally, mm-hmm. with Princess Barbie meeting her friends. Do you remember us? I don't know, sort of. I mean, it's coming back to me, sort of, but... So she's remembering things, mm-hmm. but it's slowly. Yeah, it's quite a bummer, mm-hmm. though. Like, everybody's, like, not in a good mood. They know Martin Tenbones is gone. Oh, yeah. Right. Great. You're going to save the land. You're going to defeat the Blackguard and the Cuckoo, all right. And you don't even know where you are. Well, at least Martin Tenbones knows what he's doing. And come to that, where is the great Harry Wass name? I thought he'd be coming back with you. He's dead. I see. Then we are lost. The Cuckoo has won. Yeah, loses a female. Yeah, earlier the on. The ladies lose. Mm-hmm. Oh. It, everyone's real dejected. Mm-hmm. And they get a talking to from Wilkinson mm-hmm. for the grace of Murphy. She's the princess, isn't she? Well, isn't she? And she's got the porpentine and the hierogram is still unbroken. Do you think he'd have wanted us to give up now? Well, do you? I don't know. This place I had to get to, this brightly shining sea, is it a long way away? Too far. We need to cross this mountain range to avoid the Black Guard. And between us and the sea is the Citadel of the Cuckoo. It's a very long way. I see. Well then, we'd better get going. So, what's going to happen? Man, she seems so much less Barbie and so much more Buffy by the end of this. (laughs) Sure. So is that what's going to happen? Staking a lot of cuckoos? I think she's going to get badass. Yeah? Yeah, I think she's going to get badass. Okay. So we're going to have badass action sequences of her fighting the the armies of the cuckoo? In general, Sandman series kind of doesn't do action sequences, I've noticed. Mm-hmm. So I don't think they're going to do, like, she's not going to high kick them in the face and stuff. <laughs> she's not going to go full Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Okay. But I think she's going to go badass in whatever way she can in this world. She's the princess of this world and she has the power. Mm-hmm. She's going to be able to do something badass. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll have to find out next episode you've been dreaming of the sandman issue 33 a game of you chapter 2 for show notes visit thedreaming.motivedust.com support future episodes at patreon.com slash thedreaming and please tell your friends 
Our theme music is Oneri by Kai Engel. Hear more at kaiengel.bandcamp.com. The Dreaming was recorded in Burnaby, British Columbia, Canada, on the unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, Kikate, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. I'm Joe Fulgham. Thanks for listening. Time to wake up. <laughs>